Please take your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 9. We will, re- we will be reading uh, the entire chapter. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the uh, first four of the seven trumpets, and this morning we're going to look at trumpets five and six found in Revelation chapter 9. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Chapter 9 is where most preachers wish they had never started Revelation. Do we realize that we are in a spiritual battle? Does it cross our minds that there is an evil, unseen, spiritual realm that hates God, 
that hates you and that wants nothing more than to destroy the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says something that all of us would do well to keep in mind. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We might look at this world and we might think that our battle is against Disney or against the liberal media or against um, radicalized political agendas. Fact of the matter, though, is that our battle is much more serious and much more weighty than those things. Brothers and sisters, our battle is a spiritual battle. One author writes this. He says, Our battle is not against weak mankind, but against a vast army of powerful, evil, invisible spirits who control the unsaved world. Two Sundays ago, we looked at the first four trumpets, and in those trumpets we saw some, well, some very devastating things. A third of the earth, a third of the trees, the green grass, all of it burned up. The flaming mountain, you remember, is, is thrown into the sea. A third of the, the sea creatures die. A third of the ships are destroyed. The drinking water goes bad, and there's total darkness. All of those things, you remember, are, are symbolic of what we can expect to see in this fallen world. doesn't matter if you lived in the 1st century or the 10th century or the 16th century or the 21st century. These kinds of things are what we can expect to see in this fallen world. And as we saw last time, these things are warnings. They are trumpets that are warning that there is a far more serious destruction that is to come. And so, children, when you, when you look at the world and when you hear the news and when mom and dad are talking about some things that are going on in this world, like, like um, catastrophic earthquakes or massive forest fires or devastating tsunamis, all of those things in our world are, are trumpets being blown Trumpets that are warning, flee from the wrath that is to come. Flee from the judgment day that is to come. But this morning, as we move to the sixth and seven trumpets, there's a sense in which the intensity is now ratcheted up. It gets worse. There's something far worse and far more deadly than natural disasters. That is why at the end of chapter 8, there is an eagle crying out, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that are to come. It's getting worse. It's getting more intense. What, what John is, is about to see is much more terrifying than what he saw in the first four trumpets. And so we're going to look this morning at trumpets five and six to be reminded, first of all, of the spiritual battle that we are in, to be reminded that, that a day of judgment is coming. This world is not a circle. 
This world is not going on endlessly forever and ever and ever. There is an end coming. And to be reminded most importantly and most seriously that if you do not know Jesus Christ, you must flee to him or you will be swallowed up. You will be destroyed when that day of judgment comes. And so first of all, let's look at the fifth trumpet. This is... This is one of the most difficult to understand, difficult to interpret passages, not only in Revelation, but really probably in the entire Bible. It's a passage that is filled with just bizarre imagery. If you look at your your Bible, notice the things that result from the fifth trumpet. A star has fallen to the earth. The star is given a key to the shaft of a bottomless pit. The the shaft is opened up and and smoke comes out and darkens the whole sky. Locusts come upon the earth. These locusts are given power like the power of scorpions. And and the locust children, you might have heard when I was reading, these locusts are super weird looking. They look like horses prepared for battle. They have crowns on their heads. Their faces are like human faces. Their hair is like women's hair. Their teeth are like lion's teeth. They've got iron breastplates. They make loud noises. They have tails and stingers like scorpions. And their king is someone named Abaddon. Now, throughout the years, um, many people have tried to translate Revelation 9 into our modern day. And what they've tried to do is they've tried to to explain how these things are are symbolizing what we will find at the end of time. And so you have a man like Hal Lindsey, who was a, a dispensational preacher, who said that these scorpions are symbolic of modern day war helicopters. And that the sting of the scorpion is is probably nerve gas coming out of the tail of the helicopter. And so that's how this passage has been interpreted by some over the years, that, that this is just talking about modern-day warfare. This is talking about attack helicopters and nerve gas. But is that really how we should interpret this passage? Do you, do you think that's how the first readers of this book would have interpreted this? The first readers of this book, in other words, those people living in the first century, They had no clue what a helicopter was. They had no clue what what nerve gas was. Instead, they would have read this, the first century Christian would have read this, and, and immediately they would have seen two things that they absolutely dreaded. Scorpions and locusts. Back then, children, when you... When you got up in the morning, one of the first things you did before you put your sandals on is you checked your sandals for scorpions. You did not want to be stung by a scorpion. Not only could a scorpion sting kill you, but if it didn't kill you, it would be very, very, very painful. And so when you got up in the morning before you put your sandals on, you would check to make sure that there were no scorpions in your sandals. Then there are locusts. Locust plagues, and and we don't really experience this, but locust plagues can be extremely devastating. Apparently, back in 1886, so 140 years ago or whatever, there was a locust plague in Algeria that was so severe that it it caused such a a great crop loss that over 200,000 people died 
as a result of this locust plague. And of course, there, are, there is also the Old Testament connection with locusts. Children, you might remember that the um, eighth plague that God sent upon the Egyptians was the plague of locusts. We read this in Exodus chapter 10. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was the morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came upon over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. Imagine that. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees. Not a green thing remained neither tree nor plant through all the land of Egypt. That's pretty devastating. So again, when the first readers of this book came to chapter 9, and when they read chapter 9, they wouldn't have said, well, obviously John's talking about helicopters. They knew nothing of helicopters. They would have seen that John was describing something that is devastating, something that is destructive. But what about this star? In verse 1, we're we're told that John sees a star fallen from heaven. Now, as it reads here, it it sounds like John is is watching as this star falls to the earth. But, But literally, in the original language, it says, I saw a star out of heaven that had fallen to the earth. In other words, John sees a star that had already fallen. And and I think what we have here is a symbol of the fall of Satan. As we've seen already in in the book of Revelation, it's important when we're studying Revelation to often compare Scripture with Scripture. And so if you have your Bible, take it and go to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah shed some light here on this star that had fallen to the earth. If you look at Isaiah chapter 14, notice verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Now in the immediate context, that's talking about the king of Babylon. That's talking about the the arrogance of the king of Babylon. But there is a, most scholars believe, there is a a deeper and, and further reference here to Satan and the fall of Satan. Satan is this fallen star. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so based on Scripture, I think we can say pretty confidently that that Satan is this star that had fallen to the earth. And here in Revelation 9, 
we are told he's given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is a description of hell. And as Satan turns that key and opens the pit, smoke and locusts come out, and they are given great power over those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And, and these scorpions torment these people to, to such an extent that they seek death, but they do not find it. Verse 6 says, they will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, this is a horrifying picture. I, imagine, imagine being tormented by locusts who have the power of scorpions. Imagine being tormented to such an extent that you, you just want to die. You're longing for death, but, but death flees from you. Now, what is this about? Well, what is being pictured here is Satan and his demons and his kingdom of darkness. In a, in a very graphic way, John, in this vision, is echoing what I read to you earlier from Ephesians 6, that we are in a spiritual battle, that there are spiritual forces of evil and wickedness at work in this world. That's what's being described for us here. Now, what are we to learn from this fifth trumpet? It's one thing to to understand what John is saying. It's one thing to say, yeah, I, I get it. I can see it somewhat that, that this is about Satan and his evil minions and, and tormenting those on this earth. But, but what is this meant to teach us? I'm going to give you three things. Number one, this trumpet, the fifth trumpet, helps us to remember the big picture. It helps us to remember the big picture. Revelation 9 is telling us that what lies behind all of the evil kingdoms of this world and all of the persecution of God's people is the kingdom of darkness. It's not just Disney pushing their, their wicked, godless agenda. It's not just the, the local library that allows the drag queen to come in for story hour. It, it's not just the the terror police arresting anyone who will question who will question the idea of genders behind all of this john is telling us is abaddon apollyon the destroyer satan seeks to kill and to destroy john is telling us and so when you go out in this world tomorrow and, and you see godlessness in this world, when, when you see behavior that is, is clearly against the word of God, you should be reminded, and I should be reminded, that what is behind all of this is the evil one and his evil kingdom. And, and, and what should really happen to us is our hearts should break our hearts should break for those who are enslaved in the power of this kingdom. But there's something else that we need to remember about the big picture. Not only the reminder that, that behind all of the evil in this world is Satan, Abaddon, Apollyon, and his minions, 
But also, we also need to remember, and what John is teaching us here, is that God is in complete control. Martin Luther was very fond of saying, the devil is God's devil. The devil is God's devil. Brothers and sisters, we must um, avoid the unbiblical notion that there are two equal opposing forces in this world. In other words, we we cannot think in our minds that, that you've got God on this side and the devil on this side and they're They're on equal footing. There's only one king. There's only one sovereign Lord. There's only one almighty ruler of all. And Satan is only permitted to do what God allows him to do. We see that here in a couple of different ways in this passage. First of all, notice the language of verse 1 again. It says that this star, whom we have identified as Satan... This star was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Satan does, have, does not have any ultimate power. Satan doesn't have any ultimate authority. Luther was right. The devil is God's devil. And secondly, verses 4 and 5 show us the limits that God has put on the devil and his kingdom. Notice he, he can't harm the grass or the plants or the trees. He can't harm those who have been sealed. He can't kill. And and so on the one hand, yes, there is this cosmic spiritual battle. There is forces of wickedness in this world. These, These are forces of evil that are working But on the other hand, Christian, take heart that that God is still in control. God is still on his throne. And Christian, remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's the first thing we learn from this trumpet. Secondly, this fifth trumpet also tells us that life apart from Jesus Christ is ultimately meaningless. The painful sting of a scorpion making a a person long for death is a picture of the meaninglessness and the futility of life apart from God, life in the kingdom of darkness. Almost 35 years ago, when I was um, a youth pastor, I took um, some of the kids from my youth group to uh, a park down in Long Beach, California. And our intention when we went there was to interact with some of the high school students who were there in the park. They were playing basketball or they were there hanging out with their friends. And, and so we, we went there with the intention of, of starting a discussion with these other high school students about spiritual matters. And what we did is we went up to the high school students there in that park and we asked each one of them a question. We went up to them and and we asked them a very simple question. What are you going to do after high school? And and the answers were were kind of pretty much along the same lines. They they would start off and they would say, well, probably go to college or uh, maybe the military, uh, maybe find a job. And then we'd ask them, well, what are you going to do after you get a job? 
And they'd say, um, probably get married, probably start having children. And then we'd ask them, well, what are you going to do after that? What are you going to do after you get married and have children? And they'd say, well, I guess um, raise our children, um, watch them get married, and then they'll have children of their own. And then we'd say, what are you going to do after that? Probably retire, enjoy our grandchildren. And then what? Maybe do some traveling, they would say. And then what? Well, then I guess I'll die. And then what? And it's at that point that many of them didn't know what to say. What are you going to do after you die? Again, the intention was to make them think about eternity. To make them think about life after this world. To make them realize that that after they had done all these things, go to college, get a job, get married, have kids, have grandkids, watch your grandkids grow up, travel, enjoy retirement. After all of that, there is coming an eternity. And then what are you going to do? Revelation 9, I think, is making the point that life apart from Jesus is ultimately meaningless. Solomon put it well. Solomon, you remember, he described in the book of Ecclesiastes life under the sun. That that means, children, life under the sun means life without God. And Solomon said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life has no meaning. Life has no purpose apart from God. And finally, there's a third thing that this fifth trumpet teaches us, and that is that the believer has nothing to fear. This is a frightening picture. And, and, and you read this passage, and you might wonder, you know, what can the destroyer do to me? What can Abaddon do to me? But very carefully notice verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Do you see that? Satan... And his demons, pictured as locusts, Satan and his demons cannot harm those who have the seal of God on their forehead. Do you know who that is? That's you. That's you. The Bible tells us that all believers in Jesus Christ have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. This means that Satan and his demons cannot attack us. They cannot harm us. They cannot separate us from God's love. And so as frightening as this picture is, and as loud as this trumpet warning is, Christian, you have nothing to fear because God has sealed you. He is keeping you. He is protecting you. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose. The song just said that we sang, 
God says, I will never, no, never desert to his foes. You can be comforted by that this morning. That's the fifth trumpet. It's a warning to the unbeliever, but it's a comfort to us because we know who is in control and we know who has sealed us. And then there is the sixth trumpet. The sixth trumpet is blown and a voice cries out, release the angels, release the four angels who are bound at the Euphrates River. And then the four angels with their army of 200 million mounted troops go out and they kill a third of the people on the earth. The 200 million troops are wearing armor that's fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses have heads like lions and and fire and smoke and sulfur is coming out of their mouths. And it's this fire and smoke and sulfur that kills one third of the earth's population. What is this about? Well, first of all, in keeping with the context of this chapter, I, I don't think that these four angels are good angels. I think that these four angels are evil angels. These are demons. Remember, the focus here on chapter 9 is on Satan and his kingdom. What about the Euphrates River? Is there, is there any significance to that? Well, in the Old Testament, the, for God's people, the Euphrates River was a, a symbol of oppression and hardship. And, and that's because of what, what was just beyond the Euphrates. First of all, just beyond the Euphrates was Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and and Assyria was the nation that had taken and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Also just beyond the Euphrates was was Babylon. Babylon is the nation that had decimated the southern kingdom of Judah and taken them off to captivity. And, And so for God's people, when they heard that word, Euphrates... They, they immediately were reminded of something. You, you know how certain words will trigger something in your mind. The word mayonnaise makes me sick. But there are certain words that, that trigger things in our minds. They trigger memories. They, they trigger thoughts in us. And when God's people heard Euphrates, they wouldn't have said, oh, that's a wonderful place to go fishing. They would have immediately thought of oppression and hardship and destruction and difficulty that had come upon Israel. And and surely when John sees the Euphrates River in this vision, that's what have come to his mind. Violence, destruction, death. And so you put all of this together, and I think what you have here is a picture of the ravages of war. Not a specific war. This is not prophesying World War I or World War II or a future World War III. This is all wars, past, present, and future. This week I I read um, one person's estimate about how many wars have been in the last 500 years. This This is since the year 1480. Britain, since 1480, has been involved in 78 wars. France, 71 wars. Spain, 64 wars. Russia, 61 wars. Austria, 52 wars. Germany, 23 wars. The U.S., 13 wars. China, 11 wars. Japan, 9 wars. And, of course, there are wars going on in our world today. 
All throughout time, there have been wars upon this earth. And I think what we have here is a picture of the ravages of war, the ravages of violence upon this earth. War is a horrible thing. Years ago, I don't know if any of you have watched this miniseries before. Years ago, I watched a a miniseries called um, Band of Brothers. It's um, based on the book written by Stephen Ambrose. And it's a, it's a, a miniseries about a group of uh, U.S. paratroopers during World War II. And what's really interesting in this miniseries is at the end of every episode, I think there's ten, there's ten parts to it, at the end of every episode, they, they interview the actual men who were being portrayed in that miniseries. They're, they're interviewing the actual men who fought in World War II. Not actors, but these are the real guys. And, and to a man, as they interview these men, they all talk about the absolute horrors of war. Certain points in the miniseries where the men, they just stop talking. They're overcome with emotion. They, they don't know what to say. You can tell that, that these men, even all those years later, 50 years later, had, had been so impacted by war that they just didn't know what to say. Is there anything that proves the depravity of man more than the destruction and violence and death of war? So that's what we have here. A reminder that that there is an evil, unseen, spiritual world wreaking havoc upon those who have not been sealed. And that there is all throughout the history of the earth, from the beginning of time to the end, there is this ongoing war, wars, plural, taking place on our earth. I want you to think about two things as we close this morning. First of all, please remember that these trumpets are God's response to the cries of his people back in chapter 6. In chapter 6, you might remember the scene. There are those before the throne of God who are crying out, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Lord, how long before justice comes? How long before you right all wrongs? I love what William Hendrickson writes about the trumpets. He says the general meaning of these trumpets is clear. Throughout this entire period, extending from the first to the second coming, our exalted Lord Jesus Christ, who rules all things in accordance with the scroll of God's decree, will again and again punish the persecutors of the church by inflicting upon them the disasters in every sphere of life, both physical and spiritual. The blood of the martyrs, Hendrickson says, is Precious in the sight of the Lord, the prayers of the saints are heard. God sees their tears and their suffering. Did you get that? These trumpets, in a very real sense, are God's response to the cries of his people. 
We try to make revelation so difficult. We, we try to make it this book that is impossible for anyone to understand. But at the end of the day, this book is for our comfort. The trumpets are a reminder to us that, that God hears your prayers. He sees your suffering. He sees your tears. And he will one day bring final justice upon this earth. The second thing is this, though. Notice the end of this chapter. Even after these people hear trumpet after trumpet after trumpet after trumpet, they still refuse to repent. Look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. The trumpets are warnings, aren't they? The trumpets are warnings that there is a, a far greater disaster that is to come when all of us will stand before the one who is holy, holy, holy. Natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes, destruction, violence, war. The trumpets are sounding. The trumpets are blowing very loudly, very clearly. Judgment is coming, but they will not repent. They love the darkness rather than the light, and so they will not repent. I ask you all this morning, what is your response to these trumpets? The trumpets are always blowing. They're always heralding that that final day is coming. What is your response? Is it one of repentance? Is it one of saying, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I must turn to Jesus. Or is it one of continued stubborn rebellion against the God before whom you will stand one day? If you're not trusting in Christ, what a terrible, terrible day that will be. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but Revelation is such an encouraging book to me. It's a reminder to me of, of what I can expect to see happen on this earth. It, it, it's amazing to, to know that that life is just not going to go on and on and on and on forever. And it's wonderful to know that, that God has sealed me. And he will keep me, and Christian, he will keep you from any ultimate harm. As these trumpets blow, it is a warning for the world. But there's a sense in which it's music to our ears. Because it's telling us one day your Savior will come back. And one day he will take you to himself. One day we will see him face to face. The one who lived and who died and who rose so that we would have eternal life. Let's bow in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book that we too often try to make difficult and hard to understand, but Lord, we know that it's given to us for our benefit, and Lord, we know that it it's so comforting to us as, as believers to read this book and, and to recognize the reality of life in this fallen world and to understand, Lord, that judgment is coming and to know that because of Jesus we will not face that judgment. So, Lord, help us to take to heart the message of this book. Help us to find comfort in it. Help us also to be those who warn those who do not know you, who warn them to flee, flee to Christ, flee from the wrath to come. Lord, we thank you that by your grace you have rescued us, by your grace you preserve us, and by your grace you will take us home one day. We thank you for the hope that is ours, and we pray this in Jesus' name.